teachers, I'm Carly Walton, and this is the Teach Music Online podcast, your number one resource for innovative online music teaching. This is episode number 50. I honestly, I cannot even believe it. I started this podcast a little over a year ago, and I had no idea how much I would love creating these episodes to share with music teachers around the world. It has been so fun getting emails from you, connecting with you, reading your reviews. Thank you so much for showing up, for listening, for downloading these episodes, and for using them to have a better studio, to make more money, to reach more students, to improve your teaching. I love this community so much. Before we get to today's episode, I want to share a recent review from a TMO member, Diana Lopez. She is actually a newer member. She just joined in the spring. And she said, I am such a procrastinator. My biggest success so far with TMO is just getting organized. I realized I'm falling behind with my lessons, so I have set up office hours. The two hours before I start teaching from 2 to 4 p.m. are my official office hours. I have designated to work on TMO assignments along with lesson planning and at the end of the month reviewing statements that my website will automatically send out. It's only been a couple of weeks, but it's been very freeing. Thank you, Diana. I love hearing how much you are learning how to manage your time. Having a framework to help you sort out all of the studio business and administrative work and tasks teachers is a game changer. First of all, I want to say that feeling overwhelmed and disorganized is completely normal. I hear it all the time. I think every single member that joins my program, they feel overwhelmed. They feel fear And that's why I've created time management systems in my program. So when you're ready to join us, head over to teachmusic.online, that's the website, forward slash invited, or you just click join now. And I can't wait to see you inside. Our guest today is jazz pianist Melanie Shore. Melanie is an accomplished performer, a sought-after studio musician, a musical director, and award-winning composer and arranger. I had to get Melanie on this show because although she tours the world as a jazz pianist, she wasn't raised playing jazz. That's not what she learned as she studied piano growing up. She didn't even learn anything jazz until she got to college where she dove into jazz and worked crazy hard for years developing the skill. You are going to love Melanie's story. I know because it inspired me to freshen up my lead sheet reading and my improvisational skills for sure. In our discussion, you'll also hear some ways that you can introduce your students to jazz. And she also has some great resources that she shares with us at the end. Enjoy this interview with Melanie Shore. Welcome, Mel, to the Teach Music Online podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time today to be with me. Carly, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I have been so looking forward to this interview, to this call, because you are a jazz pianist, but not just that, you're also a classical pianist. You do all things piano. And a little bit about my background, I grew up as a classically trained pianist, and then I went to Berklee College of Music in Boston, where I was introduced to jazz, I fell in love with jazz, I had to meet certain requirements during my juries each semester. So I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with jazz, so I'm hoping I I can hear some things from you today that will re-motivate me to get back into learning some jazz. So can we start by hearing 
about your upbringing, I guess, in the musical world. Tell us about your background with classical music and then how you were introduced to jazz. Yes. So my first experience with the piano started at a very, very young age. My mom was a piano teacher, so I was around it my whole life. I started formal lessons with my mom at age five and just did a little playing on on the piano here and there and then gradually moved to other teachers and continued through high school. I got to a pretty advanced level, was doing advanced Debussy, Ravel, Chopin, Beethoven, those things. And, and I remember getting to a point where I was like, well, I really love playing the piano, but I don't think being a concert pianist and majoring in classical performance in college is in the cards for me. I didn't quite have that spark to to go the distance, I guess. And and I was an accompanist for choir. I loved the collaboration, working with other people. And so I, I found myself at a crossroads with my classical education because I loved it so much. I loved sight reading. I loved all those things. And I did join the jazz band my senior year because everybody knows your senior year, you're just kind of over school and you're like, I might just try this class. So I did join jazz band and I I remember really loving the sound. That's what drew me in initially. Cer- certain sounds of chords and the beat and all those things. I couldn't quite pinpoint what it was. I just loved it. And then Were you playing piano for the jazz band? Yes. Okay. I was playing yeah. My not that this is important, but my whole senior year was like I think I had three choir classes I was accompanying for, concert band on clarinet, jazz band sitting in there not knowing what the heck was going on as pianist (laughs) and thank goodness i was not miked (laughs) because no one could hear me anyway um so i had a lot of music classes but it was a big shift for me and and it kind of started my curiosity for why this was so different than classical piano i mean you sit in jazz band and and you have a lead sheet in front of you and you have chord symbols and i'm like i don't recognize anything except for the note. So C13 sharp 11. I'm like, I recognize C. Woo. So I, so I technically was in jazz band. I was really terrible. I hardly played at all. And when I went to college, I found out that I could sign up just for private jazz lessons as a non-major. And so that's when I, I would say I officially started with somebody that knew what they were doing. And so and did loved- you just kind of make things up in the in jazz band? Did you was the teacher helpful in helping you learn how to read lead sheets? How did you get through that? Because if you have no experience reading a lead sheet or understanding a chord diagram, like you how how did you <laughs> did you do that? I, okay, my coping strategy was when in doubt, leave it out. So I basically didn't play at all. <laughs> just play the bass note. <laughs> seriously, yeah. I it was hard. I mean and and now I actually do jazz band arrangements for various levels. And so I know as an arranger that certain levels of, of arrangements, they write the piano part in. And so what we did have some of those where there were written out notations. Thank goodness, because I'm like, give me all the notes. That's my jam. Like this chord thing, like it's scary. It's just chord symbols with slashes, right? It's like walking off the plank. And so, no, my teacher was not helpful. He was a trombone player. And he's like, I, he's like, you just play the chords and comp. And, and he was throwing out all these terms. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> just going to hang out here and stuff. So, so yeah. when you got to college and you had this jazz teacher, was that, I'm just so curious because 
it's hard as a classical pianist learning how to think so differently with the language of jazz. And I, I still feel like I'm such a beginner and trying to enjoy improvisation and all of, well, I really enjoy it. I'm not that great at it yet, but I really enjoy it. So tell me about some of those like moments for you where you went, this is really fun and this is cool because clearly you've had a shift in how you play and in how you perform and in who you perform with all those things. So tell me about some of those moments and when those moments happened. Was it with that teacher or was it down the road? So it was definitely down the road. When I when I got into college and started studying with the teacher that for the non-major private lessons, we really worked a lot on harmony. So we didn't do as much improv. And I realized that that's what I was drawn to the most was jazz harmony. And that is awesome because it's a little bit more structured. Improv is a, is a different part of jazz. It, it's more on the fly. It's, it's a whole other thing. So I hated improv, hated it so much. Cause this was like my first time being in music as a complete beginner since I was two. So I was at this level where I was like, I can kind of now play my classical songs, but I super am not playing jazz. And so <laughs> it was a big mind shift to realize like, oh, you have to be prepared to sound bad and to make mistakes. And and it was terrifying because then my teacher, my first semester, he's like, you're doing great. We're going to put you in the jazz band. I'm like, please, no, please, no, please, no, no, <laughs> because I cannot go in and see these lead sheets with no written out notes. Like I already went through that. And he's like, nope, you're going to do it, Mel. You're going to sink or you're going to swim. I'm like, really? Okay. And I did what he said. And it was hard for me. I ended up figuring out what my musical skills were and my learning skills were with the classical elements and applying them to jazz. So I tried to structure it in a way that I could learn the way that I had been learning before. Now, as you know, jazz is a totally different language. And so there are going to be things that, that don't translate, but I figured a way out for myself that I could kind of plug in the classical model, I guess, into jazz. And that's how I started learning. I mean, that makes sense to me hearing you say you kind of plugged in some classical concepts and put them into jazz. And I know a lot of pianists listening are going to go, I want to know how she did that, not only for themselves, but for who they teach. Because so much of us, so many of us <laughs> teach students and we've been teaching them classically because that's how we were trained and we have the books we go through. But there are so many elements of jazz that are so helpful, even if this student never goes anywhere with jazz, it is teaching them how to use different parts of their brain that are so important for musical development that I am so sad I didn't get. Well, I should say, when I was in high school, I had a teacher that started teaching me how to read lead sheets, and she actually used the primary book for our church, the primary children's songs book, and, and taught me how to read the chords, and I was so blown away by it and just like started to kind of improvise with just primary children's songs. And it was way more fun for me at that age than learning these much harder classical songs. So tell us, because I just mentioned it, I wanna know about the course that you've created, helping teachers, helping pianists kind of learn about jazz. Okay, so first of all, the course that I've created, it's called Beethoven to Bebop because I went from Beethoven <laughs> to playing bebop <laughs> and and it's it's my method that I discovered by jumping in the pool of jazz 
without a life jacket, basically. And it's my experience of over 20 years of being a player and also an educator. So like a lot of pianists, they teach lessons. And I had done that as well since college. So I was teaching beginner kids. And so I kind of simultaneously got the experience for myself, learning what's going to work, what's not going to work, what's what's going to work for me with my classical training, with what I'm understanding right now. And at the same time, since I was teaching beginners, I'm like, what can I incorporate into their curriculum so that they are more well-rounded students? I was so sad that I did not have chord knowledge application. I could write major and minor chords and I could get an AP five, AP theory music test score that was a five or something, but applying it on the piano is a different thing, like theory on the fly. So I just put myself in a science experiment. I'm, I'm going to figure out how I can learn jazz piano with what I know from my own approach. And I'm going to see how I can incorporate this in young students and see if it works. And so my method that I created this course from is based on both of those things. So good. I'm excited to look at it. I'm really excited to look into it because it's something that I think I need. And it's fun as a teacher when you are a little bit older to have something new that's that's hard and a little bit different and fresh. So that'll be fun for me to take a look at. I want to shift for just a second. Can you, because you've, you've performed with a lot of musicians around the world, around the country, can you tell us about a few performances that were particularly exciting for you or some moments where you were just like, this is so cool. What am I doing here? Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of kind of varied experiences and, and some of them that stick out are, oh man, I have a lot, but let me see if I can narrow it down. <laughs> right after I got my master's in jazz studies, I'm like, what do I do now? Like, why do I need a master's in jazz studies to say that I can play? You know, and as a musician, you take the gigs that you can get. And I, in addition to being a jazz pianist, I also played pop and rock and funk and and all those kind of like cover band sort of gigs. So I loved doing that. And I was open to playing with whoever, if, as long as it sounded fun. That's my motivation. <laughs> so I graduated and I got a gig with a country singer who was pretty big in the 90s. His name is Colin Ray. And it was such a great experience to tour with him because I had just come from jazz school where everything is like, here are these chords, look beyond the chords and see how intricate and tricky you can make it and how unique you can make it. And I go over into this country world and I'd never done a country gig before, but I was like, well, I know chords and I know I have a good ear. so. I'll try it. First gig was like, they're like, we'll hire you. And if we don't like your playing, we just won't call you back. Your first gig is in California. Here's a plane ticket. Like figure out the tunes, go to iTunes and listen to all his tunes. And I'm like, there are seriously like 89 tunes. They're like, yep. We never know what he's going to call. Go figure them out. So whatever. I just did what I could do. And, and, and we showed up. (laughs) I guess that, How uh, how long were you with him for? Did you, was it one tour? Was it just a few times or? Well, it ended up being three years. And here are the things that I learned from him that were so fascinating. So he used to play a lot in casinos and he hated rehearsal. So I got used to this guy that was basically a human jukebox of songs that never needed to rehearse. He never even needed to warm up. This guy is like an alien of of singers. <laughs> He's amazing. And we would be on stage sometimes and he'd say, 
he'd start into the intro of the next song, like introducing it. And I'm like, it's not the song on the set list. Like what? Okay. And so I'd be on stage racking my brain. Like what song could it be? And I'm like, oh my gosh, of course, of course it's this one with a big piano intro that everybody is going to know if I mess it up. So I got really used to being uncomfortable on stage with people looking at me with stuff getting thrown at me it, and I just survived. So, it, and I totally would go back to my college days of Mel, you got to sink or you're going to swim. And I just did it. So my jazz training, even though that was country, uh, my jazz training helped me to be flexible with stuff changing at any moment. So that was like a very poignant experience for me. And then another one that's just so amazing that I, and I can't even believe that I got to do it was I got to play with rock and roll legend, Chuck Berry, the father of rock and roll. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That was a trip. 84 oh at gosh. the time. And wow. that was I mean, who gets to say they have played with Chuck Berry? Not a lot of people. So I was really honored that I got to do that. Is your passion, has it become gigging? Is it teaching? Is it helping other other classical pianists now who are wanting to learn jazz? What is what is your passion kind of morphed into a few years in, you know, now into your career as a jazz musician? So over the years, I I would vacillate between all of those things. And I was like, I only want to teach. I love helping people learn because I've been there and I remember what it's like to not know. And then I would go do performances and I was like, I love this. I want to do it all the time. And then I would do arranging and I'm like, I want to do it all the time. Basically, here's the deal. I have found finally over time doing all these things that I like to have a good balance of all of the things. I like a well-rounded approach and I love teaching students that want to be there and that are hungry to learn. And, and I love the live performance aspect. It also keeps me sharp. I, I would not want to 100% only do teaching because so much of music is what's happening currently at the time. And you have to be with other players and you have to collaborate. So I find that it's all valuable. And, and I would say a good balance of all of the things or what I like to do. I was thinking you might say that, which is, is such a great answer. And I know that teachers listening will be able to relate to that. A lot of the teachers in the TMO membership that I have, a lot of them are gigging on the weekends, teaching during the week, or they're wanting to write more, or they're putting together concerts, you know, for students and for themselves. And it is, it's this passion that you want to make sure you're always continuing to develop. I want to talk about helping music teachers shift their perspectives of how they view jazz. Can we talk about some classical blinders? You've mentioned this term before <laughs> that teachers or pianists might have about their perception of jazz and how can we kind of help them see that it's not exactly what maybe what you think of jazz. Yes. And I totally understand where they are coming from because I was in the same boat. I didn't really totally know what jazz was before I joined the jazz band in high school. And I thought it was like somebody playing the piano in the mall at Nordstrom, like the sound of music with lots of flourishes and arpeggios. That's what I thought jazz was. Now I'm sure that people listening to this are way more educated than I was at that time <laughs> and know that that is of course not jazz. But it is a common misconception that ragtime Scott Joplin music is jazz. That is false. The reason why is ragtime is black American classical dance music. It's not swing and there's no improvisation. That's why jazz always has to include the element of improv all the time. So that's one thing uh, where teachers think, oh, well, my student likes 
ragtime, he's gonna like jazz. Maybe not necessarily. You have to find out if your student is going to be courageous enough to try and not have any notes in front of him. And, and that's a whole process in and of itself. So that's one thing. And another thing, I'm in some teaching groups online and I love to hear people's perspective. And this topic has come up quite often. And I noticed that people just want a method book that's gonna address the situation. Jazz is a whole language. It's a, it's a big thing. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not books that are going to be helpful. Um, I think for classical teachers, the best thing to do at first is you have to find a gateway for you, first of all, for jazz and then your student. And if you're not quite sure what it is or if you don't have a positive feeling about it, your student's definitely going to take that on and then could ultimately be like, well, I hate this because I just want the notes in front of me. So as a teacher, finding what what you connect with on the jazz level is important. And that goes to the discussion of listening. Now, a lot of times I know as classical teachers, we don't do a lot of listening. We do a lot of reading and a lot of playing and hands-on things. And in jazz, the tradition is completely aural. It always started out that way. And it didn't start being written down until it became like part of academia or just, you know, lead sheets. But that was the extent of it or big band music. But but not every single note's gonna be written out. And so that's one thing that scares teachers away. And there are ways that you can look for things like transcription books. Those are helpful because you as a teacher and a classical player do have the ability to read notes, but somebody also has done the work of transcribing what another jazz player has done. Was your ear always interested in, <laughs> I'm just so curious because, Going from reading notated music for so many years to suddenly improvising to, the, I mean, serious improvisation <laughs> with bands, that's no easy shift. Do you feel like you always had that in, in you, that ear, um, and then it, it was just like it needed to just be tapped into? Or can you talk about like the development of it and how you know, you got a master's in jazz studies, like, I'm just curious that the, the, the process of developing your ear into jazz, because more motiv I, I, I'm trying to motivate myself to get back into it because I, when I was introduced to it at Berkeley, I kept telling myself, this is not my thing. I want it to be so bad because I love jazz and I love listening to it. And I'm so jealous of people that can improvise so well. And I, every time I try to improvise or would try to, I just like freeze in when I'm in, when I was with my Berkeley jazz on ensemble or my, you know, trio or something in my classes, I could kind of get by, but it was never like, you know, something I was excited about or something that anybody listening was excited about. I relate so much to this. My, my coping strategy <laughs> during college when I was in jazz band was to just start crying. I was like, please no. Oh, I was a wimp. Oh my gosh. But, um, <laughs> I, I didn't always love it. The thing that fueled me was my obsession. And and I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think also being in a college setting, there is a lot of pressure because it's very structured. There's an end to the semester, which says to us, well, you should have certain skills acquired by X date. It's not true. And it's been so interesting to watch my students go through these things now that I know kind of how to calm their fears. That was the biggest mm. part of it, I think, is 
fear and thinking you can't do it because that takes yes. up so much of our brain space. So you asked if, if it was kind of always inside me. I mean, I've always felt drawn to gospel beats and certain chords, but I honestly can tell you that it was not easy for me. It was so hard, which is frustrating because classical came really easy to me. I mean, if you grow up with it, with your mom teaching it, like, come on, right? It's just in, in your environment at all times. So no, 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 no. It was so hard for me. I felt so dumb. I felt like I was unteachable. I felt like my brain was the wrong brain. I felt like my brain was backwards. And then I like even went down the rabbit hole of, I'm so mad that I grew up in a white classical culture. I, I really want to learn this, but like, I'm from the wrong culture. Like I can't do this. So no, all of the things I have been through all the things I've, I quit like four times and I kept coming back and I don't know why I just was beating myself up for more punishment, I guess. And, and I'm grateful that maybe my future self was pushing me to keep going because it's totally possible. And I noticed that the most stress came to me when I had the negative thoughts and I thought I couldn't do it. And when I thought I should be at a certain point by a certain time, that's what hangs people up the most. Anybody. Can I wish you were, I wish you were teaching at Berkeley while I was there. because It made a big difference. It makes a big difference to hear somebody who has gone through that. Like you, you know, you're this incredibly um, experienced jazz musician. I mean, like uh, of anybody you you've done it all and to to hear you say that that was years of work and years of telling myself I could do it and that I want to do it and that this is something kind of sounds like you were trying to prove to yourself that no like I can do this you know you said you say it was a lot of fear and it was embarrassment you know crying and college, like in front of people, that's embarrassment. That's very normal to feel that way as a musician who's already so skilled in this other area. You want to be like, no, I'm really good. I'm just, this is new to me. And I like put the notes in front of me and I will blow you all away. <laughs> yeah. Here's actually what I did. Speaking of putting the notes in front of myself, this is one of the ways that I set myself up to not be embarrassed is I would write out what I had to play. I think when we think, when we are in our classical brain and we're thinking, I have to go do jazz and I have to solo and it's all scary and all this stuff. We also think of improv as completely out in left field by itself and there are no rules and there's no structure and you're just there and you have to pull stuff out of the air. 100% not true. That's what mm. I learned. And that took me a long time to get to that point. It's very structured. There are absolutely different dialects and vernaculars that go along with that and different ways to build on your own ideas plus take other people's ideas. So that's one way that it really helped to calm my fears. And and even though my classmates around me had been doing jazz for years and they could get up and just play whatever they wanted. I mean, they're all sax players too. Can we just talk about how piano players have double duty? My gosh, not only does our right hand have to be good at improv, but our left hand has to be good at chords and the theory to know everything at yeah. the same time. <laughs> then you have solo piano, which is your everything. And then you have your playing with a group. And if you have a bass player, if you're going to put your left hand down on the keyboard in a bass range, they're going to come and cut your hand off. <laughs> joking, so true. Really. Yeah. So we, as pianists, I, and I've, I've taught at several universities before, and I actually just wrote, um, 
I wrote an email to somebody who was maybe taking my, or they have to find a new person to take my spot because I'm doing something else and I'm not teaching there anymore. But I noticed in the feedback, even from, for my students, even from like sax players and, and people who do not play the piano that are jazz faculty, that their way of critiquing pianists is just how they would critique a sax player. It's all about improv. It's all about this. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure for us pianists because it's like, do you guys even know how long it takes us or how much brain power to figure out this other aspect like the harmony? So, so jazz piano is different even from jazz sax and jazz trumpet. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. And it just takes the time that it takes based on your mm -hmm. brain. At, even teaching at the college level, I've taught for 20 years, university teaching. I don't agree with how all of the jazz curriculums are run, especially with jazz piano. So it has to be kind of its own thing. Um, but yeah, when you were talking about just not you're in your setting at Berkeley and you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm gonna cry. It's like, I, that's how I use my classical skills to set my jazz self up. And guess what? I hated it because I, here's what I try to instill in my students. Cause, because I know all the negative thoughts that I had and I hated it for so long, but I was just obsessed with figuring it out. I can't figure out why still to this day, um, I'm able to see in them when their own brain is blocking their progress. So even though I'm here on this podcast telling you, I hated it for so long, that doesn't mean that if you start right now, you're going to hate it. It just means like I have gone through the process of like the negative thinking and knowing what to address. So I'm so happy, even though it was such a struggle, I'm so glad that I remember what it was like to not know and to have to sift through all of those things so that then I can shortcut the process, at least with the fear and the confidence aspect. It's all about confidence. Anybody can do this stuff. You can take one note and make a solo. Like anybody can do that. A baby can do that. <laughs> no big deal. It's all about your mentality and your mindset and then having the right steps, you know, kind of knowing where to start and, and treating right. yourself kindly and not giving yourself like a hard deadline that you should be at a certain place at a certain time. Oh, you are so inspiring. This was so, it was so fun to just hear you talk about your journey. You know, people may have heard your name or seen a YouTube video from you, but to, to hear the journey of you going from a classically paint, classically trained pianist to who you are now is really, really inspiring. Can you tell teachers where they can find you? Tell us about your website, your YouTube channel, your course, everything. So I have social media on all of the platforms. So my Instagram is Melanie Shore Music and my Facebook is also Melanie Shore Music and I have links to all of my things there. If anybody is interested in signing up for my course or learning more about that, we will link to that in the show notes. And I also have, um, hold on. So I have two resources currently. My course, Beethoven to Bebop, which is basically start to finish. I guess, getting somebody to be able to play from lead sheets, like having all the tools they need to play any jazz standard they want, both in solo piano style and if they're playing with a combo. And that includes improvisation, listening, things like that. And then the other resource I have is called Freestyle and Fingers. And that's a resource that I made to help piano teachers like my mom, who is still teaching, by the way, traditionally based teachers it's for them so that they can help introduce their students to improvisation 
only knowing the major scale and not feeling super stressed that there is only one way to do something. So that's a collection of videos and play along tracks. And I've also included written out notation for the accompaniment parts so that if a teacher did want to play live or just wanted to see what it looks like, uh, compare it with how it sounds versus what it looks like, that is all included in there. And awesome. that can also be linked in the show notes. Thank you, Mel. This was so great. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. Everybody, if you want to do jazz, you can totally do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Wasn't that so fun? I could relate so much to Melanie's story, as I said in the discussion, and it was really encouraging for me to hear how hard it was for her to learn jazz concepts in the beginning, because that's how I have felt. I, though, I feel so inspired to incorporate more jazz into my playing and to my lessons with my students. She is so, just her whole story was so inspirational. I've linked all of Melanie's resources in the show notes, so be sure to check them out, and I hope you have a fantastic week. Who is your business coach? If you don't have one, I would be so honored to be your coach. I created a virtual course and coaching membership called Teach Music Online that I want to invite you to join me in. With 60 plus videos, online teaching certification, monthly live group sessions, hundreds of hours of recordings, and online forums, you'll know exactly how to create a thriving online business that gives you the flexibility and freedom that I know you deserve. Plus, you'll have the support of hundreds of like-minded teachers along the way. So when you're ready to really take what you're learning on this podcast, the 10X level, then come check out the Teach Music Online membership at teachmusic.online forward slash membership. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have an amazing week and as always, happy teaching.